Our scripture reading for today comes from Mark 2, 23 to 28. Mark 2, 23 to 28. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is God's word. morning. Let's get a good morning. Good morning. morning. Yeah, it's a good morning. It's beautiful outside today. No rain. It's nice. Love San Diego. Um, I just noticed one thing we'll look at really quick. Okay, there's uh, something that I, I just noticed something. When, every time you, you, you hear scripture, and especially when you hear it read, you notice new things. And so I just literally just saw something that I didn't see this entire week and looking at this passage and trying to think of how to preach it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, that, that was obvious. <clears throat> so anyways, let's go before our Father in prayer. God, I pray that you would help us, uh, if we're hoarders, Father, that we would hoard you above all other earthly things, pleasures, joys, um, sorrows, um, everything, regrets that we hold on to, that we would hoard you as our greatest treasure, better, far better than all earthly goods. And so help us, Lord, to let go, to leave and uh, to cleave to you, um, we pray, to cleave to the gospel in Christ. Amen. So we have three boys, and what that means is that we're always um, going to the grocery store. We have grocery store runs pretty much every single day because their little mouths are like deep garbage disposals that just, they just keep it just keeps grinding in you know, all the food. You just dump it in there, and they just consume it, and it sucks dry, and our fridge is empty. I mean, every, every few days, we're like, I thought we just filled this thing, and it's gone, right? So, and, and um, you know, I'm in my, my 30s, and as, as a dude, man, and I just went to ramen night a couple of days ago, which was awesome. You dudes that missed out, you missed out, because that was good ramen. And uh, I should have ordered the extra noodles because I was still hungry. I was like, oh, even though I just consumed an entire huge bowl of ramen. Like, could eat at any time. And uh, hunger, hunger is kind of all day long. But, but hunger is this real problem, isn't it? Hunger is a problem <coughs> in um, third world countries, especially a big problem in uh, 
21st century America where we live, um, hunger is not necessarily a big issue, right? In a, in, um, we live in a westernized world with an abundance of food. We actually waste a lot of food as a culture. Uh, that's not good. Uh, but, but our problem here is a, a very deep spiritual hunger. We, um, we eat, but we're not satisfied. I had that bowl of ramen, but I still want another bowl of ramen. What's wrong with me? You know, I want, I want more. Didn't get enough. Have this insatiable craving, this insatiable desire, this longing. We purchase, but are never finished buying. We consume, but we feel this need to keep consuming, or else we're going to end up realizing that, oh no, I'm actually a vacuum. I, I have this void. I have this emptiness inside that products, whatever was the latest product or the, the latest sale, does not satisfy. Does that at all describe you on any given day of the week? Um, that describes me sometimes. Describes a lot of us, I think. Um, let's listen to how one writer puts it. He said, <coughs> excuse me, he said, Earthly goods are given to be used, not to be collected. In the wilderness, God gave Israel the manna every day, and they had no need to worry about food and drink. Indeed, if they'd kept any of the manna over until the next day, it went bad. In the same way, the disciple must receive his portion from God every day. If he stores it up as permanent possession, he spoils not only the gift, but himself as well. For he sets his heart on accumulated wealth and makes it a barrier between himself and God. Listen to this. Where our treasure is, there is our trust, our security, our constellation, and our God. Hoarding is idolatry. I mean, how true is that quote? How deep? I mean, reflect, meditate on that um, if you got anything from that. Cursed are the full, for they will never be satisfied. Cursed are those who don't thirst, for they're never going to seek after God. So the question that I want to put before you is that, do you have an appetite for things that truly matter? Do you, do you hunger and thirst for the things that, that, that won't perish, that won't go away, that can't be corrupted? Today, I hope that you're going to wet your ap- I hope to wet your ap- appetite for um, three main things that Jesus can give us. I hope you're going to start trusting in these things. So first, as a Lord over hunger, Jesus gives us time. As Lord over hunger, Jesus gives us food. And as the Lord over hunger, Jesus gives us rest. So we'll get three things, time, food, and rest this morning. If you're taking notes, um, that'll help you uh, follow along. So verse 23, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And so we have this this scene going on. Uh, It's a picture of these grain fields, and the disciples, they're, they're seen reaping. Which, uh, if you remember back, man, this was like two years ago, so probably, I don't even barely, I barely remember going through this series. We went through Ruth, and remember, Ruth was gleaning out in the field, she was reaping, so if anybody remembers that, um, that was a, in the Old Testament, 
um, something that you could do. You, you were allowed to legally, according to the law, you were allowed to reap and, and glean, um, and that was okay to do if you were hungry. So that wasn't the issue. The problem is it's, it's on a Saturday. And since it's on a Saturday, that meant it was on a day that was known for being a dedicated, a devoted day of rest, Sabbath. It meant that you were supposed to refrain from all work and you're supposed to rest. Now, most world religions, they, work, they, they focused on the place. So even Judaism, which w- would have been the, re- the religion at the time, right? This is the reigning religion for um, this context, what we're reading. Judaism had a, f- a focal point. It was all around what? The city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah, Jerusalem. Come on. Um, uh, I'm not going to bring up Mel Brooks quotes. Never mind. Okay. Um, so Judaism uh, f- also focused not just on place, but on time. So God is a, a personal God, not an impersonal force. And, and this God that the Jews worshipped uh, cared deeply about place and time. And so Sabbath keeping was uh, of prime importance to their daily life even. Not just their, their religion, but their lifestyle. And so they would Sabbath from Friday evening until uh, Saturday evening. From, you know, sunset on Friday, sunset Saturday. And the rest cycle would kick in during that time. And I think that's really hard for us to understand uh, because we are governed by, there's a clock here, there's a clock right, right back there. You know, we're, 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 we're governed by this 24-hour cycle, not necessarily, there's no sun reference and all that, but, and we have daylight savings time, what is up with that, right? Can we get rid of that whole thing and just have it sunny all the time? Yeah, yeah, but have the, have the sun and not the darkness, the eternal darkness that happens every fall, right? I mean, you get an extra hour of sleep, so that's cool, but, <clears throat> not extra, yeah, um, I think it's hard for us to understand the Sabbath, why Sabbath is important, because we live in a culture that works every single day of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, every day is a work day. Every day is a day that I need to be productive. Every day is a a day that I need to punch in and clock out, and I need to at least do something to try to get ahead, um, because I'm always falling behind. So week after week, month after month, year after year, we're a culture that works around the clock, and it just keeps ticking, and we're always trying to catch up. The U.S. is one of the top 10 most productive, least restful countries in the world, and we pride ourselves on it. So when you walk into a mall or down the street, and you just try saying hi to somebody. Try to interrupt somebody's day intentionally. Like, that's a challenge. Go do that. Go interrupt your neighbor's day or somebody's and just see what people's reaction is. Usually it's like, get away from me, man. Like, I got, I got stuff to do. I, I'm busy, right? I'm crazy busy. And, and what that, that signal sends, what that message says is, I'm important. I'm productive, i.e. I'm valuable. That's what we measure value by is how busy we are. And so taking a day off is for losers. We need to get ahead. The only way to do that is to log in more hours. I need to work through the weekend. I need to work through the end of the day. I need to stay in you know, overtime, all of that stuff. I once read a, a newspaper article. Uh, uh, and it, was a, it was about an intern who uh, ignored sleep so long. She was working diligently so hard that she was actually found 
dead at her desk from fatigue. Kid you not, actually happened. Just overworked to death. Um, And she died doing what she loved most, which was work, which is really sad when you think of it, right? I think it was in New York City, I'm pretty sure, but don't quote me on that. I have to look it up again. Um, So we've so idolized work as a culture. Uh, The thing we pride ourselves in most is, is the thing that enslaves us, really. We work around the clock. We think that we're masters of time, but actually we're mastered by time. We're not masters of time. We were mastered by it, which is why God made us, when he made us, he wired us to both rest and to work. We have time for both, at least how God has designed us. He wants us to to have time, to make time for both rest and work. And it was this way from the beginning of time itself. Back in Genesis chapter 2, if you're taking notes, write down Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. To look back on, God created time for us, for people, and, and time stands as this reminder that God is God, and we're not God. God is the one who's God. We're not God. We are governed by time. We can't escape time. We can't get beyond time. We need daily rhythms, and if we don't, there are consequences. A friend of mine, he tried to cheat time, and he actually did it. He almost, like, he almost went crazy doing it. Uh, it's a thing called polyphasic sleeping. And he would only sleep for like 30-minute sessions a couple times a day. And he, he maximized the amount of time that he had in a day, which was great. And he was super productive, getting all kinds of stuff done, special projects that he wanted to do. <clears throat> but he ended up stopping it. Why? Not because he was tired. He was successfully did it. Yeah, exactly. He was super irritable to be around. And the other thing is, with all that time, what about everybody else? Everybody else is what? Sleeping, because we need sleep. So eventually, he got very lonely, because he's like, wow, like, I have all this maximized time, and I'm up all the time, and everyone else is sleeping. Maybe there's actually a value to sleep that I never knew about. Interesting. Um, time is a gift. It's not a god. Time's a gift. It's a blessing from the God who wired and wound us up. But the Pharisees, man, they turned time into a burden to heap upon people. It was not a blessing. It was a God. It was not a gift to them. And so out of the Ten Commandments, who knows which commandment says uh, that we should keep the Sabbath? Does anybody know that one? Bible trivia. Come on. Not two. Four. Not six. I heard four. I've heard four twice now. Keep going. Any more fours? Four. It, we got three fours. Any more? Come on. It is right. It's the fourth commandment. Yeah. It's the fourth commandment. Yeah. Uh, honor the Sabbath. So you can, you can look those up in Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5. The Pharisees took the fourth commandment where it says, thou shalt not, or you, know, you shall not, on it you shall do no work. Right? Um, You shall not do any work, it even says. Uh, And and when they read that, you shall not do any work, they they really asked the question, they drilled down on, well, what is working? And let's let's define our terms, right? What's working? And they they started uh, seeking ways to avoid doing any work. Because it says not to do any work. And so, so is cooking work? 
Some people enjoy it. But, well, they, they would take that and they'd say, well, cooking, it involves work. And so it, it involves prep work, at least, at the very least, right? And so that's working. And so on and on they went, right? Cycling down of the list of do's and don'ts and things that you can and cannot do until they came up with books and books, if I kid you not, case studies on uh, how to keep the Sabbath. You can, you can go and look this up and you can read all of the many you know, different different laws that they had to, to build this massive hedge to protect God's holy law, right? Like God's law says don't work, and they built another hedge around that, a bigger circle of all kinds of laws. So you could not get close to breaking God's law because you would break all these other man-made laws first before breaking God's law. That's what they would do. That's what they, that's what they did. And so they're worried about breaking God's law. So in some, one sense, it's cool. They didn't want to break God's law. It's like meeting a person, though, who, um, who, who refuses to go into a grocery store on Saturday or Sunday. Have you ever met somebody like that? They do exist. It's like the M&M commercial. They do exist. I used to be one, actually. Ooh, yeah, one of those guys. Oh, that's not cool. Couldn't see my own pride. So, so uh, we, we can see, we can, we can actually look at kind of uh, and, and begin in Mark's gospel to judge uh, the Pharisees' bad intentions. We can see it ripple through. We can see their hearts are exposed, that they were not in the right place. Let me say, you can always tell when, when, it's, uh, when people are sitting in judgment of others that they're in the wrong. Um, and, and, and the disciples are, are living this happy life, following after Jesus. But then it's the Pharisees who are uh, those who judge from a distance and pride themselves on being right. Verse 24 says it with this first word. It says, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The disciples in Jesus, you know, they, they couldn't have been more than a Sabbath day journey away because the Pharisees were able to somehow watch them out in the, in the fields. You know, they weren't going to break the law. So they were, they were as far as they could go outside of, you know, the, the town, outside of the city to be able to see what the disciples were up to. And so they were looking from afar, but, not, but judging what they were doing. Um, some say that the proximity of the town was probably 960 yards. Um, but the point of that is, being only a half mile away from the town, the disciples, at least theoretically, could have eaten by going to the town. You know, they, they, and they could, have, uh, they could have done their own meal prep and not broken God's law on the Sabbath. And so that's what the Pharisees are trying to charge them with. Um, they, should have, they should have prepared food on the Sabbath day. And Jesus, as their teacher, is responsible for his disciples. He should know better. So the Pharisees, they're, they're this popular religious group. They are worried about two things. I want to point out two things that they're worried about. First thing... Their way of life and the Jewish community and society, their entire vision of, 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 of their rhythms, their patterns of life, is being threatened by Jesus. It's the first thing. If people don't follow the pattern they've set, things are going to change and they're no longer going to be in charge. So they're worried about that, of course. It's a power struggle. The second thing they're worried about is... They believe that Jesus is questioning the very authority of the Bible. And that's not too far out there. Uh, Because if you look at uh, the the scripture that Jesus quotes, and you read it, 
in its context, you're going, what's the relevance here? Because it's not immediately relevant. And so I think that if Jesus had come in the 21st century, not in the 1st century, I think that a lot of us would probably have sided on the side of the Pharisees rather than on the side of, 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 um, of Jesus on this. Because, I mean, he's, he's kind of some revolutionary. He's just quoting one biblical example when this group, the Pharisees, have all of these other examples. You know, they're, they're reading, they're, they care about the authority of the Bible. But you see, God's, uh, God's way, Jesus' way, is different from the religious ways. Not just of approaching God, as we, as we focused in on last week, but also in living in God's world, how we approach life in God's world. Jesus' way is not burdensome, it's, it's a blessing. It's not a duty, it's delightful. And his ways don't make time a God, they make time a precious gift. When was the last time that you just stopped and stared, looked at the sunset, looked at the sun going, you know, going, going down, going up? When was the last time you, you took a pause in your own life and just laid out on the ground or went camping or glamping, if you don't like camping, or went to a hotel if you don't like camping or glamping? <laughs> There's like three categories of that, right? Like I fall in that third category. I'm like, I don't want to sleep on a rock. Um, when was the last time that you just looked up, though, at the, at the canvas of the sky and just praised God for the fact that, wow, this is a beautiful sky, especially here in San Diego, and we have all the more reason to do so? When do we, consider, when do we make time to consider the lilies? What's stopping you from enjoying God's beautiful creation? God is not stopping you. Time is not stopping you. Enjoy what our good God gives, Okay. Let's look at this second thing here. As Lord over hunger, we heard that Jesus gives us time. Second thing, as Lord over hunger, Jesus gives us food. So Jesus is criticized yet again by this religious group called the Pharisees. And he responds to them in, in this classic Jesus way. We're going to like see, this is the classic Jesus way to respond. He cites the Bible and he asks them a question. He's going to start doing that more. You're going to see that more in this gospel. Um, as a, rhetorically, this is a genius move. Uh, so let's read on, verse 25. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, verse 26, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which it's not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with them. It's like, have you, ever, have you never read, yo? Have you never read that? Like, where have you been? Check this out. I got the scripture. Come on. And I mean, it's just like, it's, it's like the, the comic books, bang, bomb, pow. Like, he just like left hook, if you're into like boxing. He just does that, right, lays out the Pharisees with this one. Knocks them out. By giving a biblical example from the old book, what we hold in our, in our hands as, as the Old Testament scriptures, which uh, I, I, just, I was talking to somebody recently, and they refer to the Old Testament as the Bad Testament. <laughs> like, there's the Bad Testament, and then there's the Good Testament. It was interesting. It was, it, I wanted to talk to him more. I'll just say that. 
not going to get into that. Uh, but in, in 1 Samuel uh, 21 is, is what Jesus quotes with this time with uh, Abiathar. And, man, it's weird because um, I was so focused on the Ahimelech thing, and this is the thing I was pointing out at the beginning of the sermon, uh, verse 26. Uh, a lot of translations will say in the time of Ahimelech. And so there's a discrepancy there. Uh, Abiathar is, is somebody else. It's actually... Ahimelech's son. And so I was actually going to focus on that a lot, but now I don't think I'm going to because it just says Abiathar, and I don't want to confuse people more. So I don't know. Now, now people are curious. But um, 1 Samuel 21, the place uh, Jesus goes to defend his disciples now because you know, he's responsible for his disciples as the rabbi. Uh, when we read about the anointed but not yet King David, who's on the run, he is a man on the run, King Saul is hunting for his head. Off with his head, right? Like, it's that classic dynamic going on. He wants to murder, he wants to kill David. And so he's on the run, and he's hiding out in, in caves and stuff. And uh, in this story, and he's, uh, he's hungry, and so he goes in and um, sees this high priest who accepts David's word that he's hungry, he and his companions are, are journeying and, and hungry, and that he has a... Uh, 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 authority from the king, actually, to eat the food. Uh, is, I think so he lies. And so he takes him at his word, and he gives him bread for the hunger. That's 1 Samuel 21. Eventually, if you keep reading, too, King Saul kills all of the priests that helped David, except for one. There was one who escaped, and that one who escaped is none other than Abiathar, so the son of Ahimelech. So I guess that maybe clears things up a little bit, okay, right? Anybody confused still? Are you good? All right, I see lots of like, okay, I think I got that. So let's just, let's stick with that. Um, so what's, is the main reason that Jesus brings this up to defend his disciples? It's a question. Um, is that the, the, the main reason? I think that definitely needed to happen because in, uh, the Pharisees would have had the authority to put Jesus and his disciples, especially or his, or his disciples only, up on trial, uh, punishable by death for breaking God's law in that time. So, so that was a big deal. So, so Jesus needed to defend them, and so he did by bringing up 1 Samuel 21. Um, but in bringing this, this passage up, he shows that, that they did nothing wrong. That... that um, that human, the human need of hunger always wins over rule-keeping, keeping a list of do's and don'ts. And when you're put on trial spiritually, do you run to the Bible for your protection? Just as a question. Um, I think that's a good lesson, but that's not the main point. So what's the point of Jesus using 1 Samuel 21? What's the main point? What's the, what's the whole reason I even bring this up? Um, if you take what Jesus says at face value... The focus of verses 25 and 26 is not on the um, Himalek story and Abiathar stuff that I brought up. It's not even on the followers, the companions, um, the disciples. But the focal point is really set, it's fixed on David. That's where the focus is. It's on David and what he did. Have you not read what David did? That's what Jesus says, right? Have you not read what David did? I think the point here is to drive us to see who David is and what David did. 
And the, the whole point is, is this portrait, this type of who David is to showcase what's going on now, right now in Mark's gospel. And so if you read this story, you'll probably, uh, if you, 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 would, you would read 1 Samuel 21 and, and, and you'd leave thinking, huh, David is a messed up dude. Uh, he totally just lied to an old man who ends up dying. Because if you keep reading on, that's what happens to the guy who gave him bread. And he stole God's holy bread. So this is kind of like a messed up story. I don't, it doesn't, I don't make sense of it. Um, and David did all those things. But God seems to give David approval for doing all of those things. So it's like, what's going on? Um, and he gave him approval, not because David did these things, but because of who David is going to be. Who David actually was. He was the coming and soon to be new king, to replace King Saul. And so in that sense, David exercised authority. And the point is, Jesus at least had that same authority as David had, at the very least. And so in that sense, the story's emphasis on David, who was anointed by Samuel, but is not yet a king, but soon will be, that exists to highlight for us the fact that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit in Mark's gospel, right? He's anointed, but he's not yet the king. He soon will be. And both David and Jesus at this time are in the season of waiting to be king. Waiting to. So too will will Jesus be the one who, like David, provides food for his companions. Jesus gives food to his disciples. Jesus is going to be the king who is better than David. And so as, as the better, as the greater David... King Jesus is the one and only one who can satisfy the deepest cravings of our hearts, the deepest cravings of our mouths, the deepest cravings of our thirst. He alone can give us what we most need. Just as David provided food, Jesus will provide food. So that's the second thing I wanted to focus on. So as Lord over hunger, Jesus gives us time. He gives us the gift of food. And finally, he gives us the gift of rest. Verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, so I remember the first time I read this, I was royally confused. I was actually on the, on the island of Catalina at an intervarsity camp. And I was so confused because I'm like, the Sabbath made for man, not man for the Sabbath, going like around and around and around, trying to figure out what does that mean? And part of that was the confusion of um, like, you're only allowed to read the gospel of Mark on that camp. And so you like, you can't cheat and go anywhere else in the Bible. So I was just like, what? Like the Sabbath made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What, what relevance does this have? What is going on? What's the reference? Like, all, it's like, you can't do that. You have to stay on the Gospel of Mark. So part of that was probably just that. But let me explain as best as I can. So when the Pharisees heard this, this statement that Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. When Jesus says that, they most likely thought that Jesus is saying, people have authority to do what they needed on the Sabbath. Because the phrase in Aramaic, son of man, um, 
lowercase, is a way of saying a person, a human being. Don't miss this, though. Mark is a gospel writer. His first audience is to convince people that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Son of Man, that Jesus is who he said he was, that you need to believe in Jesus. That's his purpose. So to his first audience, which would have been, um, you know, full of some Christian readers, um, he, he would have been referencing a very specific reference by saying Son of Man. Not just the Aramaic, the simple, it's people or a person, but, but, but a very specific reference that we find in an Old Testament book called Daniel. Daniel is a prophet. So Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Where there's this prophecy of the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now I'm going to read this, and I want everyone to just clo- close your eyes, go to your happy place, and listen to this. From the book of Daniel. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom, dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You can open your eyes. So Jesus is specifically saying by quoting this phrase that he himself is the son of man that Daniel prophesied about, who has authority and dominion to do what he chooses or pleases on the Sabbath. He is the God who created rest. He is the God who created time. He is the God who created, period, full stop. He is the Ancient of Days. He is the king over the kingdom. He is the king over all peoples. He is the king over all all tribes. He is the king over all languages. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is capital L-O-R-D, Lord. He is Yahweh, Yahweh, God incarnate. Lord over the Sabbath. And so saying all of these, in, in saying that, I mean, at first I said that, you know, the Pharisees would have thought the Aramaic thing. They would have until he would have said that last part. Then they would have, like, had all their red flags go off, all of their whistle bells, all their sirens, all of their um, hate speech. All of that stuff would have been going off because they would have been like, oh my goodness, you're saying that you think you are God. <laughs> I mean, this is the beginning of the real tension between Jesus and, these, and the Pharisees and other re- religious leaders. And it's exactly the kind of thing that Jesus went around preaching that ended up getting him killed and crucified. What he says here means he's no ordinary teacher. He's not just a man. Either he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord, as C.S. Lewis put it. And I think, as a Christian, I think he's Lord. What do you think? Do you think he's Lord? What all of this means for us, for me and for you, is that Jesus is the one through whom we have access, not just to one day off out of six, or two days off, five, or five days, you know, two days off, that kind of thing, but forever off. 
that Jesus is the eternal Sabbath rest, that we have an eternal Sabbath rest through Jesus. We have an eternal cycle of perfect work and perfect rest patterns awaiting for us in Jesus. And what that means is that Jesus is the one who has a perfect record according to God's law, that he perfectly obeyed every single jot and tittle of God's actual law. That if you believe in Jesus, what he did is true for you. That you measure up because Jesus measured up for you. Last week we saw clearly from a bunch of ordinary examples, from clothing, from wineskins, which... uh, Somebody came up afterwards and was like, I never knew what a wineskin was. Thanks for letting me know what that was. Um, So that's awesome. That's The whole goal is we're trying to understand. Jeff, you didn't swat that bug. Now it's in my face. Come on, man. Got to look out. Um, But but, uh, last week, uh, we were talking a lot about the old ways, right? The old ways of approaching God don't work. We need a new way. Does anyone remember that? No? All right, yes. Cool. A little bit? That's what we talked about. So like that, Jesus as the Son of Man means that for us, he is the ultimate, he is the true, he is the good, final human representative, true representative of all of us. It means that he has authority over corrupt leadership, that he has authority over powerful institutions that would oppress us or work to undo us or, or people who would abuse us or manipulate us or use us or force and threaten us. Uh, that Jesus has a, pow- has a power and authority over all of them. And as the Son of Man, man unlike religious institutions like the corrupt Pharisees um, who heap heavy burdens on people, Jesus is the only one who lifts those heavy burdens. He is the one who says, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you not work. I will give you rest. He says, Come. There's a sneaky lie of the Pharisees that I want to point out. It's the sneaky lie that they constantly exhibit, that they believe in this passage and they trick so many people to believe. It's a lie of the devil and it goes like this. If I obey, if I do this, then God will accept me. There are many manifestations of that. If I do this, if I obey, God's going to accept me. And never be fooled by that lie. Don't be tricked by the devil. Don't don't fall into the pit of that trap that the Pharisees lay. That they fell in themselves. Hold on to this truth that, that through faith in Jesus, God already accepts you. Therefore, I obey. Through faith in Jesus, I'm already accepted. I don't have to do anything. Jesus did it for me. And because of that, I obey. So follow Jesus today, tomorrow, through the week. When you start your week, later today or tomorrow, trust in Christ, rest in Jesus, lean on Him. And from the Lord of hunger, receive the gift of time where you're able to start to enjoy the rhythms of the day, morning, noon, evening. Like receive it with an open hand that in this day, this morning, uh, morning, morning glory, evening grace, sorry, morning grace, evening glory. Anybody ever heard that before? Like morning, morning in the morning when I wake up, I need the grace of God in my life. When I go to bed in the evening, uh, I, I, I can praise God for the day. You know, kind of like bookends of the day. Um, receive the gift of time. As a Lord of hunger, receive the gift of food. Receive the gift of food that, 
that as you're enjoying lunch in an hour, hour and a half, <laughs> that, that you have a meal, that you have food in your mouth that God has gifted you to enjoy. And finally, as Lord over hunger, receive the gift, the gift of rest. When your head hits the pillow at night, thank God that he's giving you rest. Would you pray with me? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who cling to nothing in this world, for in Christ we truly have everything. Father, I ask that you would help us not to fall into the ugly traps of works righteousness, of trying and trying and trying and working harder and harder and harder, climbing and climbing and climbing to prove ourselves to you when in Christ we've already been proven successful, not failures. That all the guilt and shame that we have in and of ourselves has been removed from us in Jesus. And that in him we find acceptance and love from you. I pray, Father, that you would lift the, the scales from our eyes if we are blind. I pray that if we feel like there are heavy burdens thrown on, on us and they're man-made laws especially, Father, oh, please take those little L's away and, and replace them with your gospel that it is finished. And, and, and for, for all of us who are are grinding away at, at your Ten Commandments. I'm a good person. I've done this so well. Or I can measure up if I just if I just try, or if I just look this up, or if I just Father, if we're if we're caught in those cycles, if we're trapped in that, I pray that you would free us with big G gospel, that it is finished in Jesus. That you have done it. And we'd rest in that that we would trust in you and that your law would become a blessing and a delight to us in Christ. Amen.